How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. Today, Locked On NBA will start our draft coverage, and there's nobody better to do it with than ESPN's Chad Ford. If you get a chance, I'd love it if you send Chad a thank you. He's given me a great amount of time. He says he'll give us another interview before it is all done, so I cannot thank him enough. If you get a chance, send him a tweet at Chad Ford Insider and tell him thank you very much. Today's podcast, the first of our NBA Draft podcast, and we're hoping to have other guests lined up each week before the draft and maybe multiple draft podcasts. So subscribe to Locked On NBA and you will get that great Draft Insight. Today's podcast is brought to you by the University of Utah MBA Online Program. It is an MBA online program that gives you the same MBA degree and diploma as the on-campus MBA students. For those of you with a busy life, it is fabulous. It's Utah's MBA online program at utahmbaonline.com. It's also brought to you today by Larson Digital Media. LarsonDigital.com. They convert everything to digital in a 20 years in the business. Get off procrastination island and move forward and get all of your photos, your videotapes, your movie films, your slides, and put them into digital with LarsonDigital.com. Call them at 801-782-5155. And of course, the number one place for you to get your tickets, SeatGeek. Use the promo code LOCKED and you get $20 back from your first SeatGeek purchase. It's all brought to you by SeatGeek. You can do this. Download the app. Do this for me. Download the app, SeatGeek, and then immediately just go in and put in the promo code LOCK under the settings tab, and then when you find your tickets, you can do it. I greatly appreciate it. All right, so thanks to all those. Let's get it rolling, the kickoff of our NBA draft coverage. Excited. Can't be any more excited than this. Chad Ford, ESPN's draft. I don't know. What are you? Your draft god seems a little high. Draft. A little high. Yeah, seems a little big. Draft expert seems not big enough. I don't know where to go with you anymore, Chad. You're, uh, you've, you're groundbreaking. You've changed the, you've modeled how people cover this. Uh, you've changed the way the NBA draft is viewed day in and day out and how, how much of a year round event it's become. Uh, I don't know. We'll have legendary. There we go. Yeah, it makes you too old. You're not, I don't have, I don't have the right adjective, Chad. And I don't expect you really to, knowing how humble you are to drop one on me right now. I don't have one. Uh, I have less hair than Mel Kiper. That's all I know. So, um, you know, I wasn't going to call you the Mel Kiper of the NBA draft. I, I wasn't going there either. So, all right, let's let's get to it. Um, I think, to me, the singularly most interesting thing right now in this draft, and I can't wait till you do this because you do this every year, is the tears. Because I think there's usually in a first round there might be five or six tears. I've had some people say to me, they think there's three tiers in the entire first round. Simmons and Ingram, 
Then there's some debate, but it seems to go to about eight or nine, maybe seven. And then it might go to 32. What's your take on where the tears break on this draft? That's about right. Uh, I think I, I, I'm even I'm even willing. I'll break with some teams here, and I think there's a 50-50 split to say that there's tier one in that sentence. Uh, there's a tier two, which I think is Ingram. And then I think there's a tier three, which has, depending on who you talk to, five to seven guys in it. And then there is a massive, a massive tier that goes somewhere between 10 and 35. And uh, I, I was just putting together a big board today coming out, and, and I was trying to give draft ranges for guys. And usually this close to the draft, we want to get them within five to seven spots, right? That's sort of their draft range. And I was writing this guy's 11 to 30, you know, over and over and over again. And uh, that's draft really unique. It's going to make the mock draft a mess uh, because part of, part of getting a mock draft a little bit right is you're getting team information, but you just also sort of know the uh, sorts of guys that are going to be available at each of those sort of spots. And that helps you understand and manage a little bit uh, what they're talking about here. I don't think the teams have a clue. I probably have my phone ring more this year than any other year. Teams also just trying to, from my information, talking to other teams, who do I think is going to be available at X spot in the draft or at this spot of the draft? Who's going to still be on the board? And, you know, I, I think all of us are like, man, it's a, it's a real crap shoot. And uh, that makes it, I think it's going to make it exciting. I think it's going to be fun for fans to watch. I think it's going to be uh, a little bit stressful for people like me that is trying to uh, predict what's going to happen. Uh, I'm comfortable. I'm comfortable right now about like two things. One is I think Ben Simmons is going to be the number one pick in the draft. And I think he's going to go to Philadelphia. And two, I think Brandon Ingram is going to be number two pick in the draft and he's going to the Los Angeles Lakers. And then after that, uh, it's, it's going to be chaos. Do you think there's? So you think there's limited to no chance that either Philadelphia or the Lakers move their pick? I think limited to none. Uh, I, and I and I think they'd be a mistake on both of their parts if they did. Uh, I think Simmons is the rare guy, the guy that Philly's been looking for for the last three years that you build a team around. I, I think Simmons is a is talented enough that you have to start thinking about building a team that goes around his skill set, his ideas with being the centerpiece of the, uh, of the Sixers. And while I'm not sure Brandon Ingram quite goes to that level, Brandon Ingram has a need for the Lakers. Uh, he has star potential, uh, which I'm not sure the other young guys on their team really do. And, and I, I just think that, that he's, he's going to be better for them than what they could get if they traded that pick. Life is very busy. You have family, you're traveling, your career's taking your time, but you want to take the next step. You want to do something to make your life better, your family's life better, your career better. Then it's the Utah MBA online program. It's the University of Utah's MBA online program, utahmbaonline.com. It's an MBA online program. U.S. News World Report ranked it as one of the top 10 online MBA programs in the West. It's the same degree and diploma as the on-campus MBA students get. 
The courses are optimized for online delivery using studio-recorded lectures, weekly deliverables, and time to talk with professors each week during live webinars. So you're traveling, your family's taking it, but you need to take the next step. Then the MBA online program allows you to earn world-class MBA anytime, anywhere, specifically designed for you, the working professional seeking an innovative online MBA with high-level flexibility. Three start times, February, May, and August. Fall of 2016 is being accepted right now. And the highly selective program provides networking opportunities with classmates through an on-campus three-day residency and group projects. It's terrific. It's the Utah MBA Online Program. UtahMBAOnline.com. Call 801-587-8870. 801-587-8870. So let's talk about these two guys for a second. I watched Ben Simmons, and I mean, it's... It, there's 10 wow moments, right? Whether it's just a bounce pass, simple bounce pass off the dribble, which tells you the strength in the hands and a bunch of stuff. Whether it's, you know, when he suddenly takes it right to the rack and he does, it looks stunningly like a 20-year-old LeBron. The only question I have is whether he plays hard. And I can't tell because maybe he's just so talented, it doesn't look like he's playing hard. Does he play hard? Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. You know, there's a couple of things that somehow in the media, we've gotten to be experts on reading body language. And we know exactly what a 19 year old is thinking and feeling uh, by watching what well, by watching specific plays on the basketball court. And and I, and I think that's a mistake. I actually got to go out to Cleveland, spend some time uh, with Ben Simmons. I met him before uh, when he was practicing with the world team and in preparation for the Nike uh, hoop summit. And his demeanor, this, let's just take his personality for a minute. Uh, it reminds me a lot of Tim Duncan. And I'm not saying that they're anything like each other as players, but Duncan, very stoic. I mean, at times that, that lack of facial expression. It, it, you know, Duncan, I think you and I would both say Duncan has an incredible motor, but the way he plays doesn't necessarily look like he has a, cra- a crazy motor. He's not flying all over the place. He just is a very efficient basketball player that's so intelligent, they know where they need to be uh, at, at, at any moment out there. And, and so I, I think that's part of the misread into it. He's not passionate enough, I've heard people say, or he doesn't, he doesn't really care. Well, I mean, you can look at Tim Duncan at Wake Forest and see, you know, you can make that read as well. The, the, the damning thing for Simmons is that his team didn't win. And so it's easier to make that critique. But all I have to say to that is, had he played on Kentucky, had he played on Kansas, had he played on Duke, we would not have this criticism involved because he would have won. He would have won basketball games, and then it's more like the Tim Duncan sort of demeanor or whatever, you know, what have you. He picked LSU. I think it was a mistake. He picked, he picked it and committed to it as a 17-year-old. Uh, he committed to it in part because his stepfather was coming in and, and was going to be on that on that basketball staff, and there was, you know, some family ties to the, to the school and everything else. And if we're going to disqualify a kid from being the number one pick in the draft, that is a 17-year-old, he felt a lots of pressures to pick LSU over Kentucky, Duke, or Kansas. That's that's just ridiculous. And this whole he's not a winner, we wouldn't even be having this conversation uh, if uh, he had played on those other times. Carl Anthony was a winner, but I don't know that Carl Anthony Towns had you placed on LSU with the supporting cast that he had that his team made uh, the NCAA tournament. I, I, I don't actually think that they would have. And Carl Anthony Towns, in my opinion, uh, may be the best 
draft prospect to come out in, in a decade. Uh, and, and you know, put Anthony Davis on that LSU team and Anthony Davis with the rest of that, that roster and with that coach, I'm not sure that LSU makes, uh, the NCAA tournament, but nobody calls Anthony Davis a loser or says that he doesn't win. And so I, I really, I really think that people lose their objectivity. There's hype. They want to put tear, tear people down. They want to, they want to look for flaws, but it's so illogical to me to say that he's not a winner or that he doesn't play hard um, based off of the situation that he's now. Look, at times, I thought he was a bad defender, uh, which I also think at times, I think most uh, 19-year-olds are. Uh, at times, it did seem to me like he was frustrated. Uh, it did seem to me like he wasn't fitting in. And it seemed at times like he wasn't in tune with his teammates, frustrated with his teammates. You know, fair enough. Uh, I, I think some of that's true. None of that, to me, really feels like disqualifying for him. And the more that I've talked to people at LSU, the more I've talked to people in Australia, the more I've talked to people that actually know this person, know this kid, and have worked with him, and and all of those things, I don't get an overriding sentiment that this is a a human being that you have to be worried about, Um, that he's going to be a poor teammate, or that he's going to take things for granted, or that he won't work hard, or that he won't compete. I don't get that. Not everybody likes him out there, but I don't get that. Interesting points. All right, let's. Brandon Ingram is Brandon Ingram six nine one ninety. I saw him at the Nike Hoop Summit. He was the best player on the floor in that game, at least in my opinion. I, I thought it was he was really rail skinny, and you kind of wondered. But I, I don't. You know, Nike Hoop Summit's the number one. Like, if a guy's at the Nike Hoop Summit. He's an NBA player. Like it's the nu- studies have been done. It's the more than McDonald's All American, more than any other event. It's the number one thing that sends players into the pros. So I watched him at that event. I did think he was the best player there that day. I know Simmons was there. He just wasn't as impressive that day. Uh, and now I hear the Kevin Durant stuff. And on one level, I'm like, wait a sec. Durant averaged 26 and 11 when he was 18 in Texas. That's not the same thing as what Brandon Ingram did, but. I don't know. What is your thought? The, the, the other angles, frankly, they shot about the same percentage. And you begin to wonder, is, is, there, is the kid got a chance to be that special? Before Chad answers that exact question about Brandon Ingram, when you're going to get tickets to an event, whether it's a game, a concert, a theater show, whether it's in New York, or you're on the road to see a Major League Baseball game, or it's an NBA playoff game, or whatever it might be, the place to do it is SeatGeek. Here's how you want to do this. Download the free SeatGeek app. Go to the settings tab and add the promo code LOCKED right now, and they'll send you $20 after you make your first purchase. But LOCK, why do I use SeatGeek? You know why I use SeatGeek, because it puts all of the available sites in one place, so you save time and you never miss a deal. Also, you can set alerts to concerts or shows that are upcoming that you know you want to go to and wait till the price gets to the right point. Second reason is because they label every ticket, so it's either a good buy or a bad buy. You know where the best prices are you're not blindly doing it and most importantly there are no surprises the price you see is the price you get none of this screwing you at the checkout stuff seat geek it's the number one place to get your tickets add the promo code locked and you'll find out how much you like seat geek after your first experience oh, a couple of things actually of the best player on the floor that night, I'm not saying the best NBA prospect, best player on the floor that night, the Nike Hoop Summer was Jamal Murray. Yeah. Uh, in, in, in my opinion, in my opinion, and, and, and who knows, might end up being the best, uh, the best player there. 
but Ingram, I fell in love with. I actually fell in love with even more practices than I actually did in the game, and 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 it's a lot of things that he was doing um, there. And it was interesting at the time he wasn't as highly ranked. Uh, he, he was down, I believe, in the teens uh, as a as a player being ranked, and I think both his performance at McDonald's and at the Nike Hoop Summit really really changed that. I see the Durant comparisons because you think length, size can shoot the rock and, and basic body stature. And, and there's some comparisons. Kevin Durant's bigger, uh, that there's no question. I mean, Brett, Brandon, shoes. he just has a really long wingspan. He's so skinny. I think it makes him even look taller, uh, than he is. So he's a, he's a little bit shorter. Durant's body, believe it or not, was better. Uh, than uh, Brandon Ingram's. I'm not sure that you get a worse body than, than Brandon Ingram has right now. And and I do think that there were some similarities like that. And maybe had Brandon Ingram to Texas and not to Duke because there was a lot of sharing the basketball that he had to do at Duke where Durant was basically given the green light from, from day one at Texas. There were some similarities in his game. I do worry about the body. I do think that uh, he's going to have a hard time uh, putting on weight. I saw him in New York after he'd been working out and, and on a strength training program for about, I believe it was three weeks. And uh, he hadn't gained a pound or maybe gained one pound. And uh, that's unusual. Uh, usually guys, especially guys that haven't worked out a lot and haven't been through those strength training regiment programs tend to pick up some weight pretty quick and then they start to level out. Uh, that's a little bit of a concern. I will say on the other side, I think some NBA teams worry that maybe he wasn't as quite as good a shooter as has been advertised, that he was a solid shooter, but not an elite shooter. He really shot the ball well from NBA three uh, in the workouts that I saw in that. And it, it was effortless. I, I think he's going to be able to make that transition to the NBA three point line. And that's not going to be an issue. I think the two things about him that I like the most that are underrated about him is actually, he's a really good passer too. He, Simmons passer, but he's a really good passer. And the other thing is, I think he really competes. There's questions at times about uh, about Simmons and how hard he competes. One thing that I always appreciate about Ingram, despite the fact that he's skinny, he's wiry, strong. He's constantly out there uh, competing, and and I think that bodes well for him at the next level. I just worry that the body type alone limit his ceiling. Uh, just a bit to what it can be. And a lot of scouts that I, that I talk to, I think the most comfortable comparison for him is Tayshaun Prince. And Tayshaun Prince is a very good NBA player and, and maybe even a better Tayshaun Prince, but he's not Kevin Durant. You just answered my next question because I think this is the problem when I start hearing people give me comps and when I'm watching players like, okay, stop giving me the Hall of Famer. And, and particularly when I look at players, one of my number one rules is, if your only comp is a Hall of Famer or a really strangely unique player, I know that's bad English, you better give me a second, third, and fourth, and fifth comp or else he doesn't last. Like, you know, Kendall Marshall, is, I always use this example, people say, well, he's just like Andre Miller. I was like, okay, but there's nobody else who's ever been like Andre Miller. Like, you can't find another slow-footed, six-foot-four point guard that's lasted in this league. And so if you can't find that, then you know what happens to Kendall Marshall? Because he's not going to be on – he doesn't make it. And, you know, it's like Byron Houston was going to be the next Charles Barkley. Okay, well, he's not. So find me the next one. Oh, actually, that doesn't exist. Then you don't make it. So you better find me on Brandon Ingram – exactly what you just said, the Tayshaun Prince or the next tier 
of comps or else I'm going to get really, really scared about a player. And, and, I, and I think that's fair all the way down. You know, Simmons is harder because you're talking a 6'10", 240-pounder who really is a point guard. I mean, that's, we're going to call him point forward because of his size, but how he thinks and plays and feels the game, he's a point guard. And it's just, it's just really hard to throw out, you know, comps because the only guys that have ever pulled anything off, off like that are like Magic Johnson and, and to a certain extent, you know, LeBron James. And, and that doesn't feel fair to Simmons at all. And I'm not, I, I'm highly doubtful that he'll reach that stratosphere, um, as a player. But I think one of the things that is challenging about Simmons is you just don't see guys come along with that combination of, of, of physical tools and, and skills. They just, they just don't come along. And so it's really hard to give him a compare. And I heard Lamar Odom, but I, I think in in a number of ways he's a superior prospect to Lamar Odom. Uh, I don't want to go just player by player down the road, uh, so I do have some big-picture questions, but I do want to touch on one more player who you mentioned a moment ago, and that's Jamal Murray. You mentioned the Nike Hoop Summit. I think he was the MVP in that game. He averaged 20 a game at Kentucky I have watched some of him, not a lot. I happened to watch the Vanderbilt game where he was unworld. I mean, he was otherworldly. He shot 40%, 41% from three. I love the fact that he took eight a game. What's the concern on him? Because I'm not concerned about him. I'm not either. And he's number three in our big board. And there's some debate about him and Chris Dunn and Dragon Bender sort of, you know, in that mix of, and, you know, sort of fighting, you know, for those spots. But I, if there's a concern, I think it's that athletically, especially laterally, uh, that he at times had a hard time getting past people off the dribble. And maybe even more of a concern was that at times he had a hard time guarding and defending quicker athletic uh, uh, guards. And while I think his athleticism is okay vertically, it's, it's not elite, but I think it's okay. He can get above the rim. He can finish above the rim. Uh, he, it's, it's, he's a little bit slower, uh, when you start looking at that lateral quickness. And, and other than that, I don't, I don't really see the concern. And some scouts are worried that he was primarily a scorer at Kentucky, even though he's billed as a point guard, played point guard both years that he played. Uh, at the Nike Hoop Summit, but I, I think that was just circumstance. He was playing with Tyler Eulis. That was not his role on the team. Tyler Eulis was an elite college uh, point guard, and he's 5'10", so you really can't let him do much more than that. And I think Murray was, was playing his role. But, yeah, you're talking about a 19-year-old that averaged 20 points a game on Kentucky, a team that was loaded uh, with prospects. It's been a while since a Kentucky player rose above all of the other elite McDonald's All-Americans that he's playing against and was the clear guy on that team. You know, Anthony Davis was the fifth leading scorer uh, of Cats. Um, you know, I think Michael Kidd Gilchrist, who went number two in that draft, was the third or fourth leading scorer uh, you know, on that team. It's been a while since someone's just blown up that way. Uh, at, at, at Kentucky, given the talent that's around him. And I think that both, well, I mean, you're talking about super high basketball IQ, son of a coach, a, a great feel uh, for the game, and one of those lights-on kids. Like, when the, when the big moments come, he wants the ball in his hands. He's very confident uh, with the ball in his hands, and he, he makes plays. I, I think he's going to be a terrific pro, uh, and 
the the concerns that I see, I I don't think are going to. They might limit him as a defender, but I don't think they're going to limit him as an offensive player. Watching the playoffs, Chad, what jumps out to me is you got to have five guys that can pass. It's really you know we all everyone wants to talk about all these different things that are going on. To me, you got to have five guys that can pass. So let me run through some bigs, and there's a collection. Some are kind of true centers. Some are just kind of athletes that are. Talked about in the top 20. So we've got Marquise Chris, and we've got Bender, the, <clears throat> the international kid. We've got uh, Pirtle out of Utah. We've got Labossier out of Kentucky. We've got uh, Henry Ellison. Harry Ellison out of Marquette. We've got Davis out of Michigan State. Uh, and that, and we've got Sabonis out of Gonzaga and maybe Damian Joe's out of Vanderbilt. Now, all those are being talked about somewhere in the range of the 20s. I mean, as we talked about, this can go deeper. Which of those guys can pass? Which can't? (laughs) That's a a great question. Actually, of that group, if there was a guy that I would probably be most confident in passing, it would probably be Bender. And and you you don't see it necessarily a lot at Maccabi uh, this year because of the limited role um, he was asked to play. If you go back and watch him on youth teams uh, when he was playing in their under-18s, under-17s, or what have you, that an aspect of Bender's game that I think appealed uh, to a lot of people early on, and I think it's one of the one of the underrated aspects of his game that makes him such an intriguing uh, pick, and and is probably will make him first big off the board after after Simmons and Ingram uh, are, are gone, and so I, I put him I put him first as far as guys that I think can see that and pass, and then. And then I, I would put Pirtle in there. I would put Henry Ellenson um, in that mix as well. I think both of those guys, again, have have great feel for the game, have some versatility, uh, can pass the ball. And, uh, and you know, uh, the other guy, he, he he's wilder, and so he's also tends to be more turnover prone. But I think Marquise Chris actually has those tools as well. Uh, he just needs more maturation or maturity uh, than – than those other players. Which of these big? Oh, oh and I, I left out Sabonis. I'm sorry. Yeah. Sabonis can can Sabonis is an, a, a I should have put him right next to uh, uh, um, to Drag. Sabonis is a terrific passer. I'm intrigued by Sabonis. I actually was watching his film last night. Do you have you seen him work out? Because they don't no. they don't ask him to. I, I, I he I'm dying to see him work out because they didn't ask him to shoot, right? And it reminds me of some times where you suddenly get one of these guys in the gym and all of a sudden they can really shoot it. And then, and then now you got some. I mean, this kid, I mean, he took what, like half a three a game or something like that last year? I mean, they, they didn't ask him to shoot it. Do we have any idea whether or not he has any range to his game at all? The word that I'm hearing from NBA teams is he shot it pretty well. I don't, I don't think he's got the stall Abissier jump shot. I mean, if you're asking me who's the best of those bigs. I think Skull is the most pure uh, as far as the shooter goes uh, of those. And I, and I think he's down on the lower end because I think Marquise Chris can also really shoot the ball. I think Henry Ellenson uh, can, can really shoot the, shoot the basketball with talking about stretching the floor out there. But I think Sabonis will get there. And, you know, again, part of, part of what happens with a lot of these, these players is that they have, they're so strong in certain areas of their game that they don't necessarily need to develop that. Like I actually think part of the reason Ben Simmons took uh, three shots 
three three pointers the entire season was his ability to ball on the floor and get to the basket, which was a much higher percentage shot for him. Not to mention the fact that he was a point guard who liked to also penetrate and kick, uh, which which meant that most of the time he wasn't going to settle uh, for those jump shots. I also think Bone is one of the strongest players in the draft, just physically. Uh, can dominate people and can get to the paint where you've got a very high percentage shot in the college basketball. And why not take that? I think that's partly basketball IQ of getting the best shot. And, uh, and so I do think that both Sabonis, I even think this, this is true with Simmons as, as it becomes harder to do that in the pros, uh, harder to physically dominate players because everybody's an elite athlete, everybody's strong in the NBA that forces you to diversify your game, and I, and I think I think Sabonis will. It is time for you to get off Procrastination Island. What are you procrastinating? I know, we're all doing it. We all have these things sitting around, whether it's slides or movie film or videotapes or negatives or audio tapes or re- all sorts of stuff just sitting around. And what's it doing? It's eating up space. Well, I've got the people that are going to help you. They're an amazing company. They've been in business for over 20 years. It's a great story. The Larson family dad, the patriarch of the Larson family, was going to do some slides and wanted to put them on the digital, but it cost too much, so he did it for the neighborhood. And next thing you know, he had a company. And that's who they are now. 20 years later, they are rolling, professional, fabulous, convenient, wonderful people. They are Larson Digital. You can reach them at 801-782-5155. That's 801-782-5155. They convert old media to digital. In fact, they can put it in the cloud. They can put it on a disc, put it on a hard drive. Whatever it is you want, they'll do it. All the work's done in the United States of America. It's high-quality, professional digital transfers, offering movie film transfers in high definition, digital video files from videotape slides scanned up to 20 megapixels. If you're in Utah, they're located in Pleasant View near Ogden, and you can stop by and drop them off personally in Bountiful or Sandy or Orem. Or if you're out of state, I know it's hard to do, but trust me, you can send them your stuff and they will get on the digital. Call them today at 801-782-5155. I know it's hard to release these things to someone. It makes you a little nervous. If you talk to the people at Larson Digital, you'll feel comfortable. Visit LarsonDigital.com and call them at 801-782-5155. And of course, send them the, tell them that Locked On NBA sent you. The internationals that are being talked about, we mentioned Bender already. And then there's this group that's they're interesting. Uh, there's the French kid, Luau, who's 21 years old. Like he's not, he's not a youngster. He's almost the same as a senior, or at least a junior. There's Cork Maz, who I watched a little bit of. I got to tell you, he's got a Clay Thompson-esque release. I don't think he's Clay Thompson, mm-hmm. but he's got a Clay Thompson-esque release. I couldn't, I couldn't stop watching it. Um, and it's hard when you're watching, you know, highlights because it just seems like he shoots every time. We'll walk because he does. And then there's the the two kids who I can't pronounce either their names. Uh, Ante, help me out. Zizic, Zizic, Zizic and Zubak. And Zubak. Give me a little feeling on what type of players these guys are and who they might those four guys and who they might be. Well, I, I think most scouts would tell you that Cork is probably the next best prospect. He's one of the youngest players in the draft, too. He's, he's still 18 years old, and uh, he's already uh, on an elite pro team, Ephes, in Turkey. And, and at times, he gets minutes. It's like a lot of these European teams, there's not a lot of rhyme or reason to it. It can fluctuate a lot. I know watching Hazonia last year, you could watch one game, and he'd have 25 minutes in the next game. He wouldn't get off the bench. And and that's just sort of Europe uh, in a certain way and how they treat 
I treat young guys, but to me, he's a prototypical NBA two guard. He's got the exact size that you want for a two guard. He's long. He's a good athlete. He can really stroke the basketball. He can handle it a bit. He can create. Uh, I, I think he's an elite prospect. And I think if uh, he had been in the college basketball game, we would be talking about him as a top 10 pick. I, I, I really think that I, I hadn't, I hadn't made that connection to Clay Thompson, but as you were talking about it and thinking about his game, I, I can see some of that there. I think Clay Thompson, the underrated part of Clay Thompson's game was how good a ball handler and passer he was. I'm not sure that court was at Clay Thompson's level uh, coming in, but I think, I think uh, to me, he's a clear lottery pick or should be a lottery pick. And the nice thing about him is that he can both come to the NBA this year. He's got a contract that allowed him. Uh, to come to the, the league this year if they want, but he's open to staying over in Europe another year or two if that's what works best for the teams that draft him. And that's a, that's a dream scenario, especially when you have a number of teams like the Suns, the Celtics, the Nuggets, who have multiple three picks uh, in the first round. And certainly I don't think any of them really want to bring three rookies over and try to try to integrate them all into their team. And, and then after that, there's a debate between Zizic and Zubac, in my opinion. I think those are the two next international guys off the board. And one is Zizic is having an amazing season, has a great motor, is a terrific rebounder, literally one of the best rebounders in Europe right now uh, as, an, as an 18, 19-year-old. And, and just comes that motor and that sort of tough, toughness, doesn't have the skill level offensively, but does something that always translates right away, which is you know plays hard, works the glass on both ends of both both ends of the floor, and there's a lot of appeal to that. And I think they feel like athletically he can hang in the league. Zubac's more of an old school European big man who can who can do it all offensively, um, but is extremely skilled uh, offensively. And uh, there's a lot of appeal there uh, because there just isn't a lot of guys that necessarily uh, in this league more can score their back to the basket and can score in the paint and, and do so well. And so Zubac is right there. And again, the different teams, different teams will tell you Zubac is better. Other teams will tell you Zubac is better. They're really different players. If you could combine them together, they would probably be a top five pick in the draft. Uh, but, you know, as it goes, there's that. And then Luwalu, to me, I, I think teams have actually cooled on him considerably. He's 21. He is a 3 and D sort of player, but his 3 is barely 3 and D. I think he's shooting about 34% uh, uh, from 3, and then his two-pointers are actually, I think, below that, I think in the, um, in the low 30s or, or high 20s um, after that. And I heard a number of scouts say as they went over there and really looked at him hard this year, there's a bunch of players in this draft that are just like him that don't have some of the um, question marks that he does. Like, not, why not Torian Prince out of Baylor if that's what you're looking for, right? And you don't have to take some of the risks. So I'm not sure that he's the next guy off. I think Juan Hernan Gomez um, out of Spain is another stretch four who can really shoot the basketball and had a nice workout the other day uh, in Florida. He's actually over here now working out for teams. And and Gershon uh, Yavasele, the big kid out of France who – is six eight, so just a little bit undersized, but two seventy and actually athletic. He is built like a brick house, but he actually can really move well. Um, he's got a little explosion to his game, and he's very long, and he's actually quite skilled. But 
Uh, there's a lot of things to sort of like out of him, almost sort of a, a Dewan Blair uh, with with ACLs uh, sort of sort of guy that I think could could wreak some havoc in the paint. I, I think those are probably the next two international guys that go off the board. All right, two big picture questions, and then I will let Chad Ford move on with his numerous things he has to do. Uh, the trend the last few years has been that you've got to get guys that are versatile and interchangeable defensively. So stretching. Excuse me, not uh, <clears throat> excuse me, just choked. Uh, you know, switching defensively, uh, the six-six point guard suddenly becomes a very appealing thing. And then the other one is either the stretch for, or what I think is the playmaking for. Um, sitting here in Utah, I will tip my hat to Dennis Lindsay. He actually just drafted both of those the year before they became the invoke thing. Is there something of that trend? What's the next thing that's taking place right now in the league that you think uh, is suddenly being valued more than usual in the draft? I, I think you. Uh, every team I talk to, they're in love with uh, positional versatility on both both ends of the ball, right? Uh, coaches more and more want to have interchangeable pieces that allow them to do all sorts of different matchups that are out there. I think it's it's the argument for Jamal Murray, uh, for example, his positional versatility, the ability to play sort of multiple uh, positions on the floor. Players, I see Marquise Chris because of his athleticism, the ability to maybe be able to guard three positions on the floor. Uh, there's a huge um, appeal to that. Even Jalen Brown, who have lots of question marks about offensively, one of the appeals to him right away is that he can guard, again, uh, three three spots on the floor and has the physical tools to sort of be able to do that. And I think that that is a, a big one. And then the other one, again, is, is these skilled uh, big men now. Um, they, there's three things they love. They can stretch the floor. Uh, they can defend uh, both in the paint uh, and and on the perimeter, and especially if they can protect the rim, uh, is 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 really really key. If you can if you can play out on the perimeter and you can protect the rim, that is a very highly coveted skill. And when people ask why in the world would Scott this year, who did absolutely nothing at Kentucky this year, be a lottery pick, it's because he can really shoot the three. And he is an athlete who can both defend the rim, but he can get out and guard other bigs that are playing out on the perimeter. He has the fluidity as an athlete to be able to do all those things. Those guys just don't grow on trees. You don't, you don't find those, those guys very often. And so when you find them, even though there's all sorts of red flags about skull, teams are willing to try to work with them and figure that out because there's certain things that you can't teach. And then I think the most underrated is the one that you brought up which is bigs that can really pass the basketball and having four to five players on the floor who really know uh, how to move the basketball. And, and I think that is in part, while Ben Simmons can't shoot, uh, he can pass, and he can pass at such an elite level that I think you're seeing a slight shift. Even a year or two ago, I think maybe that shooting fault may have killed him, but for teams that are watching exactly what you said, Golden State playing against Cleveland, Golden State playing against Oklahoma City, that need uh, for having everybody being able to pass the basketball and have that feel for the game, I think that increases. And so those are, those are the question marks. Those are the things that are really rising uh, for teams, and, and that's why you're hearing some of the names that you're hearing, like Marquis Chris Rising, uh, for example, or Dragon Bender, why teams like Dragon Bender so much, uh, or Le Vissier, uh, the, and Thon Aker, 
for example, who hasn't ever, ever played one college game, has all the physical tools to do those sorts of things. He has a high basketball IQ. He can pass. He can shoot it a bit. He plays with a, with a great motor. He can protect them. And even if he doesn't know, doesn't have the experience yet, those guys just don't come along very often and grab him. And I think that's why um, he, he'll go high. Uh, so many things to talk to you about. Uh, we need to do a study sometime on some version of 10,000 hours. So it's my jo- this, is a, this is not what I was going to ask you about, but maybe it's going to become the Thon makers, the Jordan Hill, who we draft and we say to ourselves, he'll be great because he's hardly played and he's developing so fast. The Ennis Cantor, he picked up the game late. He's going to get so much better. And it really turns out that they just don't know the game. Like Ennis Cantor just lacks right. 10,000 hours. He just he doesn't like – he doesn't understand where the pick's supposed to be set and why. And Jordan Hill just never had a feel for the game. Like, uh, I, I, I think there's something to – I don't know how we would ever define it and what our research would be, but there's something to these guys that are short on their 10,000 hours. And I don't know what the exact real number is. I just don't feel that they ever really develop. I think it's intriguing, and and let me give give you one case study which would be really interesting in this. Like everybody's really excited about Chris Dunn out of Providence, and Chris Dunn was probably the best NBA point guard prospect, pure point guard. Um, he's 22 years old, uh, was able to play years at Providence, and had a redshirt um, season uh, at, at Providence. And and you look at what he's able to do um, as a as a redshirt junior and. And, you know, he's really intriguing. Go watch DeJounte Murray at 19, and then go back and look at Chris Dunn at 19. And, and, and Chris Dunn played 27 minutes a game in Providence uh, as, a, as a freshman. And watch them at the same age. And DeJounte Murray is, I, in my opinion, light years ahead of Chris Dunn at the same age. And, and I think that there's something – uh, again, you even see in the decision making of Chris Dunn, even as a as a as a redshirt junior, that he still makes baffling plays all the time that make you scratch your head. So does Dejounte Murray, but he makes them as a 19 year old, uh, and also makes plays that, that at 19 that Chris Dunn can even think about making um, at, at 19. And 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 I think fans also wonder why did teams put such an emphasis on a player's age. And I think it has something to do with his 10,000 hours as well. I think it has something to do with if they've developed to X space at 18 or 19, the chances that they're going to continue to develop and grow are great. If it's just that they're young and they haven't played much, that's actually a pretty scary track record going forward. Or if it's just now that they're 22 years old, like Buddy Heald is, or Chris Dunn, and they finally got it, they're their junior season or their senior season, they finally, everything clicked. That's actually a red flag for NBA teams because it, it, there's something about that means that the development wasn't happening earlier on uh, in their career and that there's a ceiling there um, that they don't see. And, and I'd make the argument, I think DeJounte Murray has the most upside of any point guard um, in this draft if you just watch all of them at the same age. Uh, playing the game. It's funny. So my litmus test, and I don't mean this as in there's a right answer to this. I just think it reveals to me when I'm talking to someone in the league where, how they fall on things. Right now, my question I ask people is, who do you like more, DeJounte Murray or Denzel Valentine? Because to me, those are the two ends of the spectrum. Valentine is right. the six six established 
wasn't great early, knows the game, high IQ. I struggle with him, honestly. I, I see a six six guy who has got incredible vision, moves the ball for all the value of passing, but I see a six six point guard, I don't see him as anything else, who uh, I don't think he can beat anybody off a of bounce. Uh, I'm not totally convinced on the shooting, and his passing is awesome. So maybe if he can just play and pick and roll, he'll be fine, and then I'm not sure who he guards. So then he becomes a six six backup point guard, and maybe that's fine. And maybe that's enough because you can switch him defensively and he's versatile and he'll be all right. And then there's DeJounte Murray, who looks like, you know, he plays as though, uh, I think Annetta Harris Basketball Center is the center in, outside of Rainier Beards High School, if I remember correctly, in Seattle, Washington. Uh, you know, he doesn't play much differently on the, at Heck Edmondson Pavilion than he probably does on the blacktop there. Uh, but, oh my gosh, he gets end-to-end at an electrifying rate, and he gets his shot off without any problem, and he's got so many aspects to him. So I, And at the same time, you know, I don't think he's helping you at all next year. Um, so I, I think that's the most interesting litmus test right now there is. And when you talk to a scout, it tells you a lot about where they are and who they are and what they believe in. Yeah, and, 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 I, and I think that's and – I, and I think that's – I think it's also about scouting, David. I, you know, there's, there's scouting out of fear. And is scouting that is able to project what a guy might be able to do and what he might be able to cut in the NBA. And the scouts out of fear, what you'll typically hear them constantly tell you is what guys can't do. And as if that disqualifies them uh, for the next level, because I can tell you right now, watching the game film, what they can't do. Ben Simmons can't shoot. Um, you know, Jamal Murray can't get by this guy or this guy can't do that. But the scouts that I really trust, I really feel like have had a great track record over the year, and the ones that I've really tried to learn from myself, are able to watch all that stuff, be able to note all the stuff that they can't do, but to ask what can they do and what might they be able to do that would allow them to excel at the next level. And then if they, if they can see that, then the next question goes to character and work ethic. Are they the sort of player that cares enough about excelling in the league that they'll put in the work and they'll put in the hours to get to that, to get to that next level, right? And if you can answer those two questions, here's what I think he could do if he puts in the work, um, to be a great NBA player. And I believe that he has the character, work ethic, motivation, competitiveness, whatever you want to call it, um, to get there. That, that, that's, that to me is the, the perfect storm, but it's very hard for a lot of scouts to sort of see that. They're so, um, overwhelmed, like to me, you know, Marquis Chris is sort of a great example. You know, Marquis Chris, you know, uh, to me, everybody's saying he's rising at the last second, and now, you know, oh my gosh, he's he's hot rising. Well, he's the same player he was all year at Washington. He didn't even really get better at Washington, in my opinion. He was doing that this, the good and the bad stuff from day one, and it kind of went the whole went the whole year. The difference was for the for the scouts out of fear, you can look at all the sort of mistakes that Marquise Chris was sort of making and getting into foul trouble and, and, you know, you know, all the sort of things that scare you away. And the, the, the scouts that scout out of what could he do, we're seeing this extremely athletic six, nine long forward who could protect the rim, who could shoot the three, who was confident uh, out there on the court, even though he didn't always know what he was doing. And they'd say, if this is a good kid, and if he could put in the work ethic, he could dominate in the league in some days. And, uh, and, I, and I, th- I think that's the, that's the real trick. And I, I think it's not just a trick, by the way, in basketball scouting. I think it's a trick in life, sort of making decisions. 
Um, do you make decisions based out of fear of what could happen if this goes wrong? Or do you make decisions based off of projecting what could go right and then asking the deeper and harder questions about this person have the sort of makeup to help make things go right, will help this process along. And, and I think that that is the newest frontier of all of the frontiers in the NBA. I think it's the thing that teams are relying on more and more and they still need to get better at is in the mental makeup of the players that are in this draft, understand what their motivations are, what their back is, what their work ethic's really going to be like. And I think if you compare that up with the other, you're much more likely um, to hit home runs in the draft and hit double and, and things like that um, than if you just draft out of fear and draft the safest, safest player. And it's why guys like LeBissier, for example, give me concern. He's a year older than the rest of the freshman class. I think that there's legitimate questions based off of what went down at Kentucky about sort of mental toughness, about his, his, uh, his ability to sort of um, take those skills that he has, because on the first part, you can project what he can do in the NBA perfectly, but now you have to go back and look at the mental makeup and look at the work ethic, look at the toughness and resilience and what happens when things go wrong. Do you, how do you respond to those things? And will all of that lead you to be able to maximize uh, your tools? That's great. And, uh, Anyway, that's a that's a long soliloquy no, on scouting, but no, that's great. I mean, I think that's the I think that's the essence. I mean, it's such a great point. It's just the perfect space to end. I'm glad we got there. It, the fact is, point one, just in simple terms, if you're not elitely skilled, forget about it. These are the greatest athletes in the world. Are you watching what we're watching every night on television in the playoffs? It's insane. If you're not, and I mean Draymond Green, who's a second team All NBA player. Every single reason why he was a second-round draft pick showed up when he suddenly played the Thunder because that's how elite these guys are. Now he's not playing quite as elite. He looks just as, he looks great again. But that's what we're dealing with. And, it, and then the, to the Draymond point of, all right, does he have the drive? Does he have – absolutely does. And that's – you know, if you don't have those two things, it's cute, but it doesn't work. It doesn't work when it in, – in April, May, and June. So, Chad, you're fabulous. Best of luck. Keep it going. Hopefully we can talk again before uh, – we hit uh, the middle of, or the, near the end of June in, in Brooklyn and New York for the draft. Appreciate your time. Sure. sure. Let's do this one more time, David. I'd, I'd love to. Love your show. All right. Anything people should do? Follow you on Twitter. What else? What else we pro- what, what are the big ones we're promoting here? What else can we give people about Chad Ford? Watch you on Bristol. That's great, click man. on your insider. Follow you on Twitter. Send you love, right? Yeah. Yeah. NBA Insider. Uh, that's the Twitter handle. And, uh, Subscribe to Insider. Not only do you get me, but there's a lot, lot of lot of really great content there, and it's uh, it's worth a coffee a month uh, to, to to subscribe. Appreciate it, Chad. Thanks so much for the time. All right, take care. Is that the new iPhone? Yeah, got it on T-Mobile. Fastest iPhone deserves America's fastest LTE network. Introducing the amazing iPhone 8. It's the best iPhone yet, now on America's best unlimited network. For a limited time, save up to $300 on the amazing iPhone 8 after 24 monthly bill credits. And now join T-Mobile's iPhone upgrade program for free. Eligible trade-in and finance agreement required. If you cancel service, you may lose promo credits. Contact us for details. Video at 480p. Small fraction of users over 50 gigs per month may have reduced speed. See store for details.